Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. I grew up right here in Waterbury, a single mom, public housing. I know what it's like to work paycheck to paycheck. Today I'm in Congress to deliver for every working person fighting for a decent wage and every small business just trying to get by. That's 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes in a campaign ad talking about her record as a two-term U.S. representative. She's now seeking re-election in what's been described as the most competitive race in Connecticut. Her Republican opponent is former state senator George Logan. Today, where we live, Representative Hayes joins us in studio. Our conversation isn't limited to our live radio stream. You can also watch online at Connecticut Public's website, Facebook page, or on YouTube. Or you can call in with your question, here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Such a pleasure to have Congresswoman Johanna Hayes back in our studio, again representing Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. How are you doing today? Good morning, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I was thinking back uh, to all the times that I've been able to talk with you, and it actually started back when you were still an educator, uh, when you were National Teacher of the Year back in, in 2016. Now you're running for your third term as a congresswoman of the 5th District. Why are you seeking re-election? Well, it's been quite a journey from the first time we talked in 2016, and Really, all of those experiences are exactly why I'm seeking re-election, to be a voice for, to make sure that there's opportunities available for every person. I mean, my story and, you know, the journey of everything that has happened to me is something that only happens here in America. So to make sure that those opportunities exist for anyone who wants to take advantage of them Mm -hmm. is just so deeply important to me. When you look back at the two terms that you've served so far, you know, what do you see as your biggest accomplishments? Well, I could have never imagined that I would get elected to Congress and then be faced with a global pandemic and just all of the challenges that we saw. But I also am just so proud of what we've been able to accomplish in this Congress. Well, since I've been elected, you know, the American Rescue Plan that really targeted the communities that needed the most help the infrastructure bill, which we had been talking about for years, Connecticut will finally see the results of investments in infrastructure, gun legislation, the first time in 30 years, you know, for me to have legislation in the PACT Act for veterans, just all of these things that I I talked about, this is what I'd like to do when I go to Congress, the first investment in climate initiatives that this country has ever seen, for me to have been a part of that and to have helped to craft that legislation and vote on it and bring it back to my constituents is the exact reason I went to Congress. You can join us with your question for Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, our number 888-720-9677, or add your comment to Facebook or on Twitter at Where We Live. I mentioned that uh, the 5th District is 
seen, and it has been the most competitive House seat in Connecticut. It's considered a purple district. WTNH reporting that 21,000 new voters had registered in the 5th district since the first of the year. So I believe we have, what, 42 days uh, until Election Day. So what is your message uh, to the constituents that you serve? My message is my record. This is what I've done, and this is what I'd like to continue doing. This district has always been competitive, and I never take it for granted. So I expect every election that I'll have to work for it, that I'll have to communicate to people, that I'll have to remind them of where I stand on issues and what the work that still needs to be done. So I never take it for granted. You cannot win the 5th District with just Democrat votes or just Republican votes. You really have to have a much broader appeal. So over the next 42 days, my record is what I'm running on. All of the work that I've done, I'm very proud of, of my voting record. We hear, I hear a lot of talk about the percentages. You know, she votes with Pelosi or she votes with Biden. And when I say to people, let me talk to you about what I voted for. Let me tell you what H.R. 1319 is. It's the American Rescue Plan that got vaccinations to almost 600,000 people in this district that helped over 7,000 small businesses in 200 plus restaurants survived during the pandemic that saved 15,000 families from getting evicted. Those are the pieces of legislation that I voted for. And when I talk to people about that, they realize, wait, those are the things that affect me and my family. So this was targeted investments in communities that needed it most. And I'm going to remind people over the next 42 days, that's what good government looks like. Mm. It's a tough time uh, for American families and businesses with an 8% inflation rate. When you look back at uh, what Congress uh, has passed and also former presidents, when you think about how that has contributed to where we are right now with inflation, I'm wondering if you can talk about that. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because this isn't something that just happened over the last two years or with this administration. This has been something that has been festering under the surface at a global pandemic, and we see record inflation. Uh, add in, you know, the conflict in Europe and you know the Russian invasion in Ukraine, and we see rising gas prices. There's lot of, lots of things that we need to do. But it cannot be lost on anyone that we have major companies bringing in record profits. You know, when we look at the price of groceries, the meatpacking industry has a monopoly. 85% of the industry is owned by four companies. So they're regulating the prices. So we really have to look differently at the way we do business in this country. We have to transition so that we are more energy independent, so that we, we're not, you know, everything is not contingent upon the whims of the global economy. So all of those things, we have to make investments on the front end. We, re- we released, well, President Biden released the strategic oil reserves to try to bring down the prices of gas. But looking forward, we have to make sure we're never in this situation again. And that's going to require doing things differently. Back in June, when we had the baby formula crisis, I was surprised to find that two companies literally controlled the entire market. And that is as a result of just deregulation over years, the way companies are allowed to grow into these huge monopolies. I taught history. You know, Standard Oil had a monopoly smaller than this, and it was broken up. So we really have to look differently at how uh, businesses and industries just control the market and record record profits, record profits that are not uh, transferred to the consumer. 
When we think about the stimulus and the recovery, again, all of this extra uh, cash uh, within uh, you know households mm-hmm. that maybe some didn't need that, and, and how that has contributed to inflation, uh, Congresswoman Hayes. You know, any missteps there? When we think about you know with uh, demand being high, especially in the in the pandemic, and supply being low. So there's a lot of conversation about where aid was targeted during the pandemic. And I can tell you that as a sitting congresswoman, I got calls in my office from everyone, people who were going to lose their job, were going to get evicted, didn't have access to health care, didn't have insurance to get a vaccine. And because of that, a lot of the normal regulatory restrictions were released because we had to get out aid as quickly as possible. One of the things I ask people when they say, was it too much? My question is always, who would you have left behind? Should it have been the small businesses? Should it have been the, the parents who needed childcare, the people who needed broadband uh, for their kids to uh, have school virtually? Who would you have left behind? And in the moment when we had a million people that died from a pandemic, when we had, we were really in real time getting new information, trying to navigate this pandemic, we did the best we could with the information we had. So now as we are recovering, we see communities that are relying on the funds that were released through the American Rescue Plan. It kept hospitals open. It kept first responders on the job. It opened schools safely. Everyone was talking about we need to open schools safely. But this targeted uh, federal funds gave the resources to do that. So my question is always, who would you have left behind? Because for me, that answer was no one. You know, we really had to, first of all, stop people from dying, keep them safe in their homes, and then uh, try to stabilize our economy so that we could recover. So there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, and as we do, you know, the post analysis, there's a lot of things, well, we could have done this, we could have done this. But in the moment, it was to get targeted resources out to the communities that needed it the most in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think we did a really good job of that. You can ask your question to Congresswoman Johanna Hayes. Again, she represents the 5th District, running for re-election against Republican George Logan. I should mention he'll be on Where We Live in a few weeks on October 18th. Join us with your question, 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, I mentioned cash and going into the economy. Let's talk about all the cash going into this uh, this 5th District. Uh, the Congressional Leadership Fund, a Republican-affiliated super PAC, has released two ads backing your opponent, one of which was more of an attack ad around the issue of inflation. What's your response to the focus on your claim that Democrats, quote, single-handedly saved the economy during the pandemic? Did you want to clarify that? Well, that was a question about the American Rescue Plan. And my comment was in reference to the fact that no Republican voted for the American Rescue Plan. And that did stabilize the economy at the point where we passed that um, legislation. That's the money the, the ads that the Congressional Leadership Fund are, are running refer to H.R. 1319, which is the American Rescue Plan. Every district in Connecticut, every town, all 169 of them are using American Rescue Plan Act funds as they recover. Small businesses, like I said, over 7,000 in my district used American Rescue Plan Act funds. Child tax credit brought 50% of children out of poverty. And no Republican voted for that. So in that moment, it's interesting that they play that ad over and over. And that one quote, I've been in office almost four years. And this is one statement taken out of context that they're using over and over. But only Democrats voted for it. You know, there's some clear contrasts. And I'm actually happy that 
they are choosing to highlight my record as the the center of this race because I'd like to defend my record. And my opponent also has a voting record in the Connecticut State Senate. And when we talk about some of the things that the people in this district care to care about, I think it's going to be very clear to say when this issue came up to, for a vote, this is how I voted. This is how he voted. So um, that statement really was about the American Rescue Plan and the fact that no Republican voted for it. And that that investment, that state local investment, really infused our economy and stabilized communities in that moment. I mean, a lot of things happened after that, but no Republican votes. That's what I meant by Democrats single-handedly saved the economy. When we think about the economy, some economists say we are in a recession. Do you believe we are? Well, I think that it's weird because I hear that from economists, but then you see the job numbers and the rate of growth, and we, in some areas, are back to pre-pandemic strain. So I think that we're at a position where there's all of these variables that we never had to consider, a global pandemic, a Russian invasion, um, an economy that's recovering. So in some areas, we see strength. In other areas, there's need for improvement. But I think we should all be focused on the solution. Um, I hear people talk about Democrats close down the economy. No one woke up one day and said, let's close schools. Let's stop the economy and disrupt businesses. A million people had died, Mm -hmm. and we were trying to stop that. So right now, I think that the steps that are being taken are helping us to the fastest recovery that we've ever seen. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, to ask your question of Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, especially if you're registered to vote in the 5th District. Uh, When we think about some of the campaign ads uh, that have come out, uh, you know, from whether it's the National Democratic Party, also the Republican Party. Uh, One of your opponent's uh, first ads focuses on the issue of race and drawing on a since-deleted tweet from the Democratic State Central Committee that featured language imitating the Curious George children's books. And and for listeners who um, may not have been following that, uh, that deleted tweet read in part, and this is from Hearst, Connecticut. This is George. George doesn't live in the 5th District, but wants to represent it in Congress. George's uncle lives in the 5th District. George says he moved into his uncle's house. But has he? Uh, Again, George Logan and and some Republicans saying that this was, in fact, racist. Uh, You've refuted that tweet that it was in any way derogatory. What is your response now in light that this is now in a campaign ad and people are seeing this? Well, I really don't have a response for that. It's unfortunate that this is what he chooses to talk about when there's so many issues. Lucy, I have three black sons, and I would never demean or diminish a black man because I know how dangerous that is when you give permission for that to happen. But I'll also remind you that in 2018, I made the statement when Congress starts to look like us and national Republicans went crazy because they thought us meant black women. And what I meant by that was, mothers and teachers and, you know, people who live and work in our community every day. We have to make sure that they're reflected in the Congress. Um, Recently, I mean, it's so rich because recently that same congressional leadership pack, their spokesman said, we're running candidates that look like the communities they represent. So this idea that anytime there's any reference to diversity, it's racial. There are so many issues to focus on in, in this campaign. Um, I would like to see where my opponent stands on these issues. So to try to uh, revive 
a conversation about race and attribute it to me. I'm a black woman like he's a black man. And I'm, I'm just not going to get involved in that. My campaign and everything that is communicated from me that I am paying for, that is my message, is going to be about the work that I've done. Uh, so when that tweet came out, you had retweeted it, but then you acknowledged that some may have found that that was uh, derogatory, and so you deleted it. I did. And, you know, that's what a leader does. You know how to accept responsibility when you're wrong about something. And what I said was, while I don't think that this is the way it was intended, the fact that he was offended by it was enough for me the same as I would have done in the classroom or anywhere else. You don't have to have, sometimes it, it doesn't matter your intent. If a person is hurt by your words or your actions, it's enough for you to say, and now this is over. And I took the tweet to mean he doesn't live in the fifth. He hasn't lived here. Um, he was renting his uncle's apartment or whatever in order to run in the fifth. And just on that note, I've heard him say that I want to run for Congress because to enter to add diversity to the delegation. It's been an all Democratic delegation, but it's not lost in me that his representative is also a Democrat. So he could have ran from his home in Ansonia. So it, it just feels like a very opportunistic move. But I mean, anybody can run. These seats are not anointed or appointed. And I think that in every election, in every campaign, you should have to work for it. So um, I fully intend to to work for this in this campaign and communicate a message of the work that I've done. We've been spending a lot of time talking about the economy, and I wanted to take a quick call from Eula in Hartford. Eula, what's your question for Congresswoman Hayes? Uh, good morning, and best of luck. Uh, my question, I realize you're just one person up there, that um, because I'm middle class, I own my own home, there is no program for people who are not poor enough to get energy assistance. Is there any kind of proposals ever for so-called middle-class people to, um, you know, get some benefits for energy assistance for oil or for gas? Well, thank you for your question. Um, we have, we're actually, I go back to Washington today, and part of what we're working on is expanding funds for LIHEAP because we know that more families are going to have to, excuse me, have to access energy assistance. But also in the Inflation Reduction Act, there are grants and programs in order to help um, incentivize single-family homeowners to transition to more energy-efficient means to upgrade some of their you know, heating and cooling systems, all of the things that families really need. We talk about um, the cost of living. And one of the things that people really uh, focus on is energy instability. That's where a large part of most family budgets go. This Inflation Reduction Act includes legislation that will lower a family's uh, heating and cooling costs, energy costs, by about $1,800 a year. So while that seems like a more long-term solution. We are working to bring um, funds back to Connecticut specifically, I mean, our delegation, for programs like LIHEAP and expanded energy assistance, especially right now as we are recovering from this pandemic. I think that it's important to note in that area, since your question is about energy, there's a clear contrast here. You know, in Congress, I'm working on solutions to that problem. My opponent abstained from every vote that would have involved, you know, energy regulation um, for his employer, Eversource. That's something that people really need to look carefully, educate themselves on what the voting record of 
of the candidates are. I mean, um, I've never abstained from a vote. I've taken very hard votes. I've taken some easier votes. But there has to be a time where you go on record um, when you're there was no conflict. There's you can we can have these really tough conversations to say how do we ease energy, the cost of energy, especially here in the state of Connecticut, for uh, the average consumer. Again, my guest today is 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. She's running for re-election against Republican George Logan, and he'll be on the show on October 18th. You can ask your question to Representative Hayes. Here's our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest today is 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, who in 2018 made history in our state as the first black woman to represent Connecticut in Congress. This fall, she's running for a third term against Republican challenger George Logan, a former state senator. Now, if you live in the 5th District, what questions do you have for Representative Hayes? We want to hear from you. We're live on the radio, online at Connecticut Public's website, Facebook, or on YouTube. Add your questions in the comments field, or you can comment. Call in with your question, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, many people know that you're a longtime educator, and so I wanted to talk about education. And, and really, when we think about uh, the national backdrop for this race, uh, the larger playbook by conservatives, education has become a major topic. Uh, Republican Party Chair Ronna McDaniel attended a recent campaign event along with your opponent, George Logan, where Republican Senate candidate Leora Levy spoke about the, quote, indoctrination of children that she claims is happening in Connecticut schools. Meanwhile, we know that the GOP gubernatorial candidate Bob Stefanowski has loosely aligned himself with uh, states like Florida and Texas with this introduction of a parental rights, uh, parental bill of rights, rather. So, you know, how would you respond to the way politics has referred to public school education? This is dangerous. This is incredibly dangerous, and I worry about the profession. I worry about children. I worry about young people like me who all they ever wanted to be was a teacher now deciding that they don't want to engage in the education profession. Curriculums are not decided in Congress. 
they are decided locally. Parents are a part of those decisions. Um, oftentimes there's board meetings and um, meetings where it, everything is decided on. So a, an individual classroom teacher doesn't make the decision on what books to use or what to teach. Um, and parents should already be engaged as partners in their child's education. But this attack on teachers on public education is extremely dangerous. And I've seen it throughout this entire pandemic where teachers were heroes and then teachers were the ones keeping schools closed. I've seen where teachers didn't have the supports that they need in order to help students. And there has to be some mutual trust there. The banning of books, the that's not what teachers do. You give kids the information, and your job is to teach them how to think critically, not what to think. And if our children are never exposed to different experiences, um, different stories, um, different narratives, and then have the opportunity in a safe space to discuss those things, to question those things, to criticize and challenge their own understanding, they're not going to be ready for the world that, that lies ahead. So to politicize this is very, very dangerous. I fought really hard. I can tell you some of our first conversations when schools were going to close, I was asking the questions that only an educator could ask. I was saying, you know, how are these kids going to eat? Or what happens in the buildings where they don't have um, HVAC systems that work? Or the districts, like I have 41 towns. I have some of the highest performing boarding schools in the world and some of the lowest performing public schools in the country. What about the schools that didn't have broadband or one-to-one devices or internet? So really closing those equity gaps is a conversation that we should be pursuing right now so that all kids have access to educational opportunities. But to create a narrative that doesn't exist and make that the center of a political campaign is extremely dangerous. And it it, it is deeply concerning for me, someone who um, education changed my life, you know, having access to public education and teachers and after school programs and those supports to risk removing those in some of the hardest hit communities with the kids that need them most is just a dangerous proposition. I'm glad you brought up uh, book challenges, which are happening in towns across our state. We've talked about that on our show, and that might surprise some listeners. They might think this is something that's only happening in red states. It's also happening here in our state. And, you know, when we go to your website, LGBTQ plus rights, you know, is is one of the issues on the top of your page about the importance of that. Tell us why um, that matters to you so much. Well, that was something that I really, an issue that I grew into. I would never um, try to claim that I know everything about or I'm an expert on biology and chemistry. I entered that conversation when the former Secretary of Education said that she would withhold federal funds from school districts in Connecticut that allowed transgender athletes to play. And while I don't understand everything about transitioning and biology, I understand discrimination and it is against federal law to discriminate based on sexual orientation. My job as a representative is to represent everybody. So again, the question I was at, would ask is, who, who's going to speak for those kids? You know, if I had a kid in my classroom who was LGBTQ, they're my student. And I think every teacher feels that way. So this separating children and, and demonizing children 
again, is dangerous. So we have to really come to a conversation where we can figure out a way to include all children, but adults targeting children is just wrong and should not happen. And I'm going to fight against that at every turn um, because for many of those kids, they need a trusted adult to be their voice because they don't have the strength, the agency, or the advocacy to do it themselves. You can ask your question of Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, who's my guest here where we live. Our number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Kristen is calling in from the 5th District, I believe the town of Warren. Kristen, you're on the show. Uh, Yes, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So I'm a mom of three, uh, and I used to be a Republican. I'm now a registered Democrat and aligned myself Um, Pretty much with the left, but sometimes kind of walking the middle. And my question is, you know, given how much polarization there is both in Congress and in the country at large, um, you know, how, what are your plans or how are you planning on working together with your Republican colleagues across the aisle to, you know, get things done in in Congress? Given how much what? I missed part of that. I'm sorry, given how much polarization, polarization there is. Yeah. So thank you for that question. Um, I recognize the polarization at every level. And I've tried really hard. In Congress, I've actually been able to pass legislation, bipartisan legislation. I know how to draft a bill. I know how to get it to committee. I know how to talk to people about what is happening in their district and share with them that that mirrors some of the things that are happening in my district. For example, I had four pieces of veteran legislation that were passed, both under Presidents Trump and Biden. I was able to move this legislation, get Republican co-sponsors, get it passed. In June, I introduced the Baby Formula Act, and I had a Republican co-sponsor. And literally, I went every day uh, while we were on the floor and just talked to my colleagues and said, listen, this is what I'm hearing in my district it has to be the same as what's happening in your district. And I think we continue to do that one conversation at a time, one person at a time, making the legislation about people and the people that are affected by it. And I've seen where we can get some work done. I've seen where um, we just passed the PACT Act in Congress, which was the for the first time, veterans won't have to prove that they got a toxic exposure. We were able to get that passed by just appealing to people about this is how this benefits everyone. Um, But we, we have to do better, you know, at every level. And there are so many things that are outside of my control um, when it comes to, you know, legislation at the federal level and what I do. And this is why I make very intentional decisions about the way I run my campaign. I can make a conscious decision to focus on the issues, to not go negative. I can tell you that I've had even Democrat consultants say to me, you know, John, I don't know if this is a good lane to travel in. You really have to punch back. You know, you have to say this. You have to do this. I was in the classroom for 15 years and told kids that government works, that you can have civil discourse, that you can have conversations where you disagree. I'm not going to go to Congress and now change that. So really just focusing on the issues Uh, talking about things that everybody is impacted on, reminding our colleagues. And there is a possibility to get it done. Um, We just passed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the gun legislation. Um, These are things that 30 years, no movement on. So there is room for movement. We just have to work really hard at it and be intentional. Um, 
I know how to get legislation moved. Uh, as a contrast, I mean, my my opponent has never had a bill voted out on the floor, has never had any of his legislation moved. So bipartisanship is not just about introducing legislation. It's about actually getting people to buy into it, support it, getting a vote on the floor. My baby formula bill had um, I, I, like 380, I think it was, uh, yay votes. There's only 218 Democrats, so quite a few Republicans had to vote for this. And I worked really hard over that week where before the legislation was introduced to talk to every office, to appeal to people, to ask them to support it, to remind them of how important it is. So I do believe that it is still possible to do that. I wanted to fit in another call. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Amy's also calling in from the 5th District in New Britain. Amy, quickly with your question. Yes, I think you've done a great job. And um, what are your priorities for the next time should you win? And I think you need a stronger attack ad against George Logan, one that mentions your name, and maybe an ad with your baby campaign, your baby formula campaign. So... um my, uh, thank you for the question. My plans in the next Congress, there are some very important things. So I am the chair of the Nutrition Oversight and Department Operations Subcommittee on the Committee of Ag, and next year is the Farm Bill. Food security is a major issue for me, making sure that in this country, no one goes to bed hungry. We actually have a White House conference on hunger that is convening tomorrow. I'm headed back, I'm headed back to D.C. Um, this evening. Um, to really make sure our seniors, our veterans, our children have healthy foods. So that's something that is very important to me. Women's reproductive rights, codifying that into law, I think that um, it is. It, there's a sense of anxiety, the fact that the interpretation of what women's health means can just change from... Uh, the, through the interpretation of, of the court. So I think that that really needs to be codified into law. I think the child tax credit and really programs that support families. I want to make sure that we take the lessons that we've learned from this pandemic and say, what do we need to do going forward so that we never find ourselves in this position? I think that there's a lot of talk about going back to where we were before the pandemic, but for me, that wasn't good enough. So we've started the conversation and opened the door and really begin to challenge ourselves to look at the gaps in our communities. And I think we really have to continue to work for that. We were able to pass um, in the Inflation Reduction Act to negotiate the cost of prescription drugs, but that's just for Medicare. We need, we need to expand that to private insurers and really get health care in a manageable place where people can afford it. So those are the things that are really my priorities and always education, you know, apprenticeships, making sure that people have jobs, making sure that um, we give people opportunities to stand on their own so that they don't have to rely on government assistance. Um, I, I think that I would have, if you had asked me in 2018, if I thought we'd be able to accomplish all of these things, I, my answer probably would have been no, but to see the work that we've done in all of these areas, I just want to continue to expand and improve upon that. I'm glad that you brought up abortion. Uh, this is something that's also in one of the ads running in this district from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, tying your opponent to Republicans like former President Trump and others who want to ban abortion. Your opponent says that uh, he is against a national abortion ban. Do you think that, the, that he goes far enough there with uh, his views on that? Well, 
I think that when the time came and I had to vote on what that meant, I voted for the Women's Reproductive Health Act. So people know exactly where I stand. The decision for whether or not to have an abortion should be between should be between a woman and her doctor. There's no room for government. There's no room for me. So this idea that there's a limit, this is the cutoff date, that's not for me to decide. And at the national level, Republicans have already made it clear that they intend to, well, they've already introduced in the Senate a national abortion ban. And the last time that was introduced in the House, I think 160 of my colleagues supported it. So it has to be very clear. There can be no ambiguity on this topic. And I think the people of this district know where I stand because they know how I voted already on this issue. We just have a couple of minutes left. You know, I wanted to ask you about school safety. Uh, at the end of this year is the 10 years since the shootings at Sandy Hook. Well, we were all uh, impacted at the, the tragic uh, mass shooting at Uvalde. And so we are now seeing school districts bringing in armed security guards uh, to protect uh, the, the school campus. You know, as a former teacher, do you think that's necessary? Well, I've always been in support of school resource officers, and I think that that's a really complicated topic because people can have a lot of opinions about it, but unless and until you're in a school building that's been in a lockdown. Um, as a teacher, I didn't feel that I could handle the responsibility of, of keeping the building safe. My job was to teach children. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about should we have law enforcement in school, which is different than armed security guards. And I know that there's concerns whenever you enter any type of firearm into a building. But I think that we should have school resource officers. There's a lot of concern about school-to-prison pipelines and kids interacting with law enforcement. But I worked in a building for 15 years where I saw kids have positive interactions with law enforcement, where kids... um, would talk to our school resource officer. He went to basketball games. He, you know, stayed after for practice and the kids got to know him as a person, not just as a police officer. So improving on those relationships, building on those relationships, but then also having an honest conversation about um, gun reform and what that looks like in this country and how do we keep kids safe. The fact that kids have more lockdown drills than fire drills should be deeply concerning for people. Um, we just, with the Safer Communities Act, we were able to just t- break through the tip of the work that needs to be done. But there's so much more work that needs to be done in order to keep kids safe in school. This should not be a problem. This is a uniquely American problem that we have a responsibility to work on. And the thing that I really believe that we did over this summer in the Congress was break the stronghold of the gun lobbyists, of the oil and gas industry, of the prescription drug industry, and really start to legislate in a way that helps people. I want to thank Representative Johanna Hayes for coming on the show. We always uh, get really into a good discussion, and then it's time to go. But it we, goes by so fast. <laughs> we appreciate your time. And I do want to mention that Connecticut Public is hosting a series of debates. And Congresswoman Hayes, as well as Republican opponent George Logan, will be uh, also uh, coming to uh, Central Connecticut State University, I believe, for a debate in October. Be sure uh, to watch that. And again, we'll have your opponent on October 18th here where we live. Thank you so much for your time today. Lucy, thank you so much.
Uh, Coming up after the break, we're going to hear more about this competitive house race. Paul Hughes of the Waterbury Republican American joins us. You can join us too. find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from 5th District Congresswoman Johanna Hayes, who's seeking re-election. Her opponent, George Logan, joins where we live October 18th. Now, for more on my conversation with Representative Hayes, joining us now in studio here is Paul Hughes, who's a state capital reporter for the Republican American of Waterbury. Paul, welcome to our, our new studio. Oh, thanks. I haven't <laughs> been around in a while. That's real impressive. <laughs> we appreciate you uh, driving up uh, for this conversation. So what are your takeaways? You understand the ground game Mm. and the 5th District uh, better than uh, most. So tell us uh, what you've been seeing in this campaign. Well, we've been seeing two very, what I would say, talented candidates um, out there, you know, fighting for those votes. I mean, you you heard it here on on the radio. I mean, you know, Representative Hayes is is out there. She's, uh, you know, campaigning on a record. you know, uh, George Logan is is out there pounding on the on the campaign trail, making appearances. Uh, you know, trying to connect with people. Um, he's also uh, speaks Spanish, which is a, a plus in this district as well. No, I th- I think it's a a real interesting race, and I can understand why it's getting a lot of attention uh, in in the state. And nationally, and nationally, yes, there's a lot riding on whether the Republicans can flip the House. And so there's this is a heated race. Can you talk yeah. about some of the issues that have come out and even what we're seeing uh, in terms of the money pouring into this district? Well, yeah, we, there's a lot more outside spending. I mean, if you looked at the uh, finance reports from June, I mean, uh, Representative Hayes had like a uh, million six I believe cash on hand and, and, and Mr. Logan had something like 200,000. So there's going to be a lot of outside spending. Uh, we, we've already seen it. You know, we've seen uh, super PACs affiliated with uh, Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy. We've also seen the, uh, two sort of uh, House campaign arms of the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee pouring a lot of money in this race. So if folks don't like uh, TV ads and radio ads, well, you know, sorry, it's, it's, it, you're going to get a lot of them between now and uh, November 8th. And, and I think you guys covered some of the, the big issues. Inflation. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like, duh, you know, it's, we, we've got like 8% inflation. Um, you know, the cost of living is always high in the state. Taxes are high in the state. People often feel, you know, complain about the, the, the level of the burden of uh, the high cost of living and taxes in Connecticut. So, the, you know, the economic, the pocketbook issues are, are very big. But you also have the social issues, too, the, the, the issue on abortion, where, where, you know, there's not really too much of a difference, at least in the stated positions of the two candidates, other than um, Mr. Logan supports parental notification, which 
Um, I think a Quinnipiac poll in May found about three quarters of the people in Connecticut support. So he's not that far out of step with the voters. Oh, when we think about some of the issues uh, like abortion, of course, uh, the economy, you know, how does that play out in the fifth district, which is so varied from, you know, wealthy Litchfield County to, you know, urban areas like Meriden, Danbury uh, and New Britain in terms of, you know, the issues that are going to drive voters to the polls? Well, I think there's a lot of economic anxiety across all income groups, but you're, you're right. I mean, you have places like Waterbury that have an, a large, uh, large groups of poorer people. And then you have, you know, some of, you know, some of the towns in Litchfield County, which, you know, are among uh, the most to do in Connecticut. So that's, I think, makes the 5th District kind of a an interesting um, combination. But yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things is the, you know, the, the government spending. You know, Mr. Logan is saying, look, hey, you know, the Inflation in, uh, Reduction Act and the, you know, some of these care, uh, you know, coronavirus, uh, uh, COVID bailouts and uh, the infrastructure. But this is all, you know, pumping government spending up and then pumping up inflation in as well. Mm. Well, when we think about uh, her opponent, George Logan, uh, this is someone who was a former state senator. Yes. And so you know, Representative Hayes talked a lot about, you know, she's campaigning on her record. And what will represent our former Senator Logan be bringing to this race other than the fact that you mentioned that, you know, he's a talented uh, candidate and he's connecting with voters? Well, you know, he does have a record, and but we're not really hearing a lot about it. You know, we're hearing like, well, he voted against bump stocks. Well, most Republicans voted against the bump stock uh, bill uh, back in uh, 2017 or 2018. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I kind of find is interesting is we're not hearing too much about his legislative record as much as we are hearing about her congressional record. But, I mean, it's, it's out there for everybody to see. I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, these people vote 90% of the time or so with, with their party. You know, the Maverick is the guy who votes maybe 85% of the time with the party. You know, they, they, you know there's not anybody out there that's voting 50-50. Let's, let's, you know, sort of dispense with that. Uh, we did spend some time talking about race, uh, specifically mm. George Logan's uh, campaign, uh, where he references uh, Democrats calling him, quote, a monkey. Yes. Um, and Johanna Hayes, again, uh, when she we asked her about that tweet, said she didn't think that that was the, the intent of that tweet. It yes. was not derogatory. How did you see that play out? Well, it was it was interesting because the, the the Democratic Party pushed back hard initially against that. No, 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 no. It's not a it's not a comparison to Curious George. It's actually something that we took from an American Heart Association uh, ad with stick people, and this is Jane C. Jane. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I guess it depends on who you believe. Um, certainly. Um, it sounds an awful lot like the 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 opening of of Curious George, but then when you go and you look at that uh, American Heart Association commercial, you're like, okay, well, maybe. Uh, so it, it's one of those things where it was kind of a it took on a life of its own. I don't know if it was an unforced error or not, but um, your view of it, I think, might depend on which candidate you support or or which party you're affiliated mm -hmm. with. So what are the polls telling us about this race, Paul? Well, that's the thing about it. Uh, congressional districts, I guess, are, are, are hard, from, from what I've been told from you know, independent pollsters, uh, sometimes hard to, to uh, survey. But um, 
the Republicans and, and Mr. Logan have been hanging their hat on a on a poll, I think, uh, from the Terrence Group, a Republican consulting firm, uh, around uh, earlier this summer, and it had the race at forty five forty five. Um, and you know, the Democrats obviously dispute that, and the Republicans are playing up. It's like any poll, you know, you don't like the results. There's something wrong with the poll. It's it's the methodology, you know, that you know, the, the, one group is oversampled than the other. But you know, we we really don't have an outside sort of independent measure of, of where the race stands. Um, and, you know, although people dismiss polling a lot, it's, let's face it, these candidates spend an awful, and campaigns and political parties spend an awful lot of money on polling. So, um, you know, any kind of poll that comes out at least gives people a sense of where a race might stand at one point or at one moment. It, I think they're yeah, you know, they should be viewed in that context. I believe uh, Representative Hayes won uh, the other two um, elections yes. by double digits. Do yes. you think, though, this could be a lot closer? I don't know. You know, that's that's the interesting thing, because Republicans see her as vulnerable. But if you look at, you know, uh, her percentage of the vote, I believe it went up from like, uh, might have well, it was in the upper 50s. But uh, her plurality increased. And it was a presidential election in, in 2020, but she was about 31,800 votes, I think, in, in 2018. And then um, I think it was up to 40,000 plus. So, I mean, you look at those numbers and, you know, you wonder, well, is she as vulnerable as, as Republicans portray or would like to think? Uh, but then again, you know, those aren't big, you know, wins. Not a blowout, I shouldn't say. Not blowouts. They were, you know, decent wins. Paul Hughes, again, a state capital reporter for the Waterbury Republican American. A pleasure to hear from you. Can't wait to see what the the campaign trail brings in the next uh, 40 some days. I'm looking forward to the debate that you guys uh, and the legal and voters of Connecticut are sponsoring. I think that's going to be very interesting for voters in the 5th District. Thank you so much, Paul. We'll be sure to tweet out information about that Connecticut public debate at Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. Robin Doyne Aiken was our call screener today. And special thanks to the visuals, digital, and operation teams at Connecticut Public. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs>